0: So will you join me now as together we have 30 seconds of contemplative silence.
1: And so I recognize, and I invite you to recognize with me, there was a force for good. Dr. Holmes began every, every lecture at the Wiltern Theater that I've listened to in Los Angeles with the following... There was one life. That life is good. And that life is God's life. And that life is my life now. It was true then, it is true now. And so let us bask in that knowing that the sufficiency of this moment is revealed to each and every one of us. That the truth of our being, who we are and whose we are, never changes. But how it is expressed and how it is revealed changes as we transform, open, choose, embrace, forgive, expand, and open ourselves to that beautiful process of creativity and of co-creation. So I stand together with you this day knowing something powerful and amazing is happening just by us being together, that the presence of the divine is here because you are here. That this would be different today if you were not here with us, each and every person, precious, powerful, amazing, wonderful. And whether these ideas bounce off you or you say yes to them is your choice. But what I know, the truth of your being, is these words and more are the truth of your being. And that what I love about this teaching is that my past does not define me. My past informs me. And so that I make new choices and better choices in this moment. This is the creative process. This is how I take responsibility. This is how I move into that. So I know that the great good that is seeking expression and landing appropriately in your awareness and consciousness is called forth here and now. And so I notice the wisdom and consciousness upon the words, between the words, between the notes of the songs where we have an opportunity to open in the grace and the beauty and the the knowing that something powerful is seeking our attention, seeking us in a deep and wonderful way so that we may say yes in an even more expansive way so that our gifts, talents, our peace, our love, our sufficiency, our ability to say, this is enough this day. And yet I welcome more without stress, without worry, but to simply stand in the divine co-creation and that beautiful relationship with spirit. So I give thanks to speak these words into this room, to thank you for being part of this agreement with me for your unspoken yes in your hearts and minds where two or more are in agreement, it is done. And so let us know that something wonderful is happening here and now for everyone and everyone's life that we touch. Upon this planet, the ripple effect of the love that is present here and now touches lives we cannot imagine because we are all connected. For this, I give thanks and invite you to say with me, and so it is. All right. Did anybody leave this up here? Can I give that to you to just put down on the floor somewhere? Thanks. You know, it's very interesting, I have a mentor around on uh, the platform, and he always says, never have anything on the platform that won't hold the weight of the divine. So somebody's half-filled water bottle that they left behind <clears throat> is distracting me from holding the weight of the divine. So I just, uh, it's kind of like, you know, cleaning up when the guests come into the house, it's like, who left that out? Leave your, uh, your TV dinner tray out, you know, that kind of thing, as so people come in. Anyway. But now it'll be holy water. It's right there with us. We're blessing it as we move forward. Anyway, I think what a great spiritual practice. When things show up in our lives to distract us from what we're about, it's time to declutter. So we're talking about what do I love, which is, you know, my favorite subject. This chapter, I've read it about four times this week, and I've used this book before by Wayne Muller, Um, How Then Shall We Live, which has four simple questions about how we reveal the beauty and meaning of our lives. And what do I love is my, well, I love all the chapters in the book, but it's one of my favorites, and, and, and I'm going to do a portion of it today because there's so many pieces in it that I just am not going to be able to get to. But we'll get to what I think is, is, uh, is valuable. I wanted to begin with a beautiful poem by Mark Nepo, because I think what, what, what we're called to, why we, many of us have stepped onto the spiritual path, and many of us have stepped onto this particular path, because um, we we just there's 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 indicators and signs along the way that seem to say to us yes you know this seems to be make more sense to me this seems to have more uh, weight of the divine in it for me than perhaps other traditions and there's a beautiful poem called at the window by Mark Nepo that I think is a, a metaphor for this journey that we're on he says I was at the window when a fly near the latch was on its back spinning legs furiously going nowhere. I thought to swat it, but something in its struggle was too much my own. It kept spinning and began to tire, and without moving closer, I I exhaled steadily. My breath, a sudden wind, and the the fly found its legs, rubbed its face, and flew away. I continued to stare at the latch, hoping that someday the breath of something incomprehensible would right me and enable me to fly. And I thought, wow, isn't this what we were after? Don't we want to be... For me, it was, it's such a beautiful metaphor of, as I, as I live more closely to the, the God of my knowing, or the spirit of my knowing, or this divine unseen presence, it's almost as if this unseen force of, of breath is enhancing my, my participation in life. And so my levels of joy and my, my need to hang on to things and to, to micromanage things and all the kind of stress and strain that I put into things, it puts me into a greater uh, state of faith a greater awareness of my divine connection. And so I love that. I love that that poem so beautifully articulated. So in in Mark Nepo's book, and I've got all these little pink slips in here, uh, marking things that that I think are are significant, he begins this chapter and we we become what we love, which I think is so true. Dr. Holmes would say, that which we dwell upon we become. So Anna, at some point in time, Anna Beaumont said, I think I want to sing. I think that's going to be part of my vehicle. And she dwelled upon that. And not only did she dwell upon it, but she acted upon that. And fortunately, because there are a lot of people that make that declaration that are tone deaf, and then that's quite another interesting conversation to have with them. <laughs> but fortunately, Anna found the right fit for her, her gifts. What <coughs> Mark, um, Wayne Muller says... When we do what we love again and again, our life comes to hold the fragrance of things. Our life comes to hold the fragrance of things. When we hold something in our hands day after day, our hands conform to the shape of what we have held. We become what we have cared for. Our lives are shaped by what we love. Is it not? And and so it's interesting because what do we love? What are are we shaping in our lives? All, All we are aware of is the result All we are is a result of what we have loved. What we love draws us forward and shapes our destiny. Our love teaches us what to look for, where to aim, where to walk. With our every action, word, relationship, and commitment, we slowly and inevitably become what we love. And the the, the caution with this is that, that, that it's not something that we jump to. It's something that we need to ask ourselves. And he expands on that. He says, what do you love? The the question cannot be answered too quickly. First, you must sift through a variety of disparate impulses. At the beginning, you may encounter what you think you are supposed to love. You uncover what you should be able to do or would be able to do if only you were more perfect, more spiritual, more successful, and on and on. You may first name those things you love because of what they will do for you. Impress your friends and family, earn some place of belonging or whatever, but to listen and discern those things you truly love is a fruitful and nourishing practice. So it's a practice to ask and to work with. Because so much of what we think we might love are things that maybe aren't really our things to love and care for. Are they ours or are they our parents? Are they our our employers? Are they the expectations that that go on and on in our lives that we've been sort of domesticated with certain ideas. But that's part of this journey. You know, it's so it, it's so much easier it's so much easier when we go into a community and they just tell you what to think, isn't it? Here's the 10 commandments and follow them. See you next week. Man, I love that. It just didn't work for me. I was too busy following the 10 commandments, you know, and, and so for me it was like I can follow the letter of the law, it was the spirit of the law that I was interested in. It was the sum total of my beingness, because I could behave in a certain way, but in my head I would be going crazy with things that were not in alignment with what I was supposed to be thinking. And I thought, "This is I'm, I'm, I'm in duality here, in my being. So he, he talks about a story here, a very simple, beautiful story. He's done a lot of work in New Mexico, Wayne Muller. And he talks about a village that he went into, and in the village every year they, they had a tradition. There 1,600 families that lived in this village. And and every year, and so their water for irrigation, their drinking water would come down this canal. They would clean the canal every year, and it would drop. The water would drop from the mountain, 1,100 feet down into the the valley below, and then it was a 12-mile trek for this water to stream into the village where they could access it. And every year, for hundreds of years, this this community was founded in the 16th century by the Spanish. Hundreds of years, every year they would go out in the springtime and they would clean the canal. And all of a sudden, the, uh, the United States Army Corps of Engineers showed up and said, hey, we're going to help you out. We're going to put plastic piping in. And with the plastic piping, you'll save a lot of water, and it'll be cleaner, and it'll be more efficient, and, and on and on and on. And so the village people looked at this and said, well, you know, this is part of our sacred tradition. We go and we bless the canal. And, 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 and to do this work together so that people of all ages would come together and they would clean this canal. And he got a call, Wayne Dyer said he got a call from his friend Max, who was one of the, the uh, town elders and leaders. And he, he finally said, you know, we've met and met on this idea. And he said, we don't think it's a good idea. He said, we love the ditch. We love the ditch. We all, when we all climb the mountain peak in the spring and clean the ditch, it holds us together. The ditch is our life. It feeds us. It's like glue that holds the soul of, of this community together. How can, how can they take that away from us? So isn't it interesting what we think might be right for somebody that, that would make their life easier, and all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, this is what we are about. This is how we come together. This is our ritual. And so 1,600, they put it to a vote. 1,600 families voted. Uh, eight families voted for the pipe. Uh, the 1,600, or whatever that is, do the math, 1,592 voted against it. And so they still go up on the mountain, they clean it every year, and it's part of their sacred tradition because it brings them together. And he says, what do you love? You gain courage from what you love. And when you know where your treasure is, when you know what it is for you, it's sacred and it's right. See, a lot of people don't like that. A lot of people like to be told what's sacred and right. And, and yet, if it's sacred and right for you, it's sacred. Are we on holy ground? Well, it depends on whether you declare it or not. You have been given dominion over this. You can name whatever it is. And so, when you are filled with a clarity of purpose and a breathtaking capacity to act on what you believe, it's, you're propelled forward by what you love. Wonderful stuff in this book. I I actually had to get a clean copy because the first one I have is so full of highlights that I didn't know what was new and I would have been just reading the whole book to you here. He says the second indisputable question we must answer is this What shall we plant in our garden? What shall we plant in our garden of possibility? Because our practice is, you know, if you've, you've heard me talk about the co-creation process, fear to faith, and what that whole body of work is about is clearing away the things that restrict us from a greater realization of our own divinity. But that's only part of the, part of the journey. When I, when I got into this teaching, I was in so much pain in, in, in my interior. I had so many ideas about how I didn't measure up and, and the things that I'd done wrong, and oh my gosh. And, and for me, I was raised Catholic. It was a great relief to go... To confession, uh, because I could confess all my sins. I'd come out and I feel like my soul was squeaky clean, and you know I'd get in my car and within fifteen minutes I'd I'd have an impure thought, and then I think I got to go back to confession again. So I turn, would make a U turn. I, but I mean that's how I felt. It was like oh my gosh, I just cleaned this all up and now I'm back into this this really horrible way of thinking. What am I going to do? <clears throat> well, I found religious science is what I did. But. But the point was it wasn't working well for me because what I was doing is so when I came in and I had all this stuff kind of going on inside me and all of a sudden I realized you know this is the human condition and most people share in this and most people and and part of the journey is moving through these things and but it's not just simply alleviating the pain and that's what he's referring to here. We alleviate the pain, we clear away the dross of the beliefs, those error those beliefs we have. At some level, or some we don't need to look at, some we don't need to examine, we just put them down and say, I'm not going to participate in that anymore. But some need a little more attention. The reason we don't want to pull them up many times or think about them is because it's painful. But, and, but, and I'll talk about this in a bit, but, but that's only part of it because when we're, we're present with it, all of a sudden there's, a, there's something else that arises, but when we start to clear away our consciousness and make room for newness, then we get to decide what should we plant in our garden. So it's not just clearing, it's also about planting. It's also about saying, hey, I've, I've made space in my life now. I used to spend, the, the releasing work I'm working on right now is poverty. I've been, I've been asked to lead the charge for debt reduction or the, revealing our greater abundance with the organization as a member of the leadership council. Because there's a, there's a lot of agreement with struggle. There's a lot of agreement with poverty. And so what I realize is I have to heal my own agreement with poverty. Because when I go into poverty, which is not enough, whatever it may be, it's it's lack, but I'm working with the word poverty this month, then I go into I have to do it all myself. I I release my belief in poverty. I release my need to think I have to do it all myself, and I'm so grateful that God is the freedom that I am. Because I want to live in the freedom. But unless I pull it up and look at it, I can't clear that away, so I can't make room for the newness. And believe me, I wish it were easier, but I have to do my practice around it because if I'm gonna help us be of, of value to the organization and to our community, then, then that has to go. I don't get to have the luxury of loving that anymore because really, at the, at the end of the day, the reason that the poverty is so alive in my life is because I love it. I cherish it at some level. And I'm not embarrassed to tell you that, it's just the reality. But maybe there's some limiting idea you have that you, because that, if you dwell upon it, it's precious to you, even if it's painful. And so he says, we shall plant, "What shall we plant in the garden? What harvest, when it comes, will bring us great joy? What seed, when they blossom, will provide us with delight? Is it not enough to keep? It's not enough to keep clearing, sifting, removing obstacles, securing boundaries, while it is essential that we prepare the soil? This will not in itself produce a harvest. So if you've been doing affirmative prayer for years and years and years, and you're not getting any traction, you got you got deep beliefs and agreements with struggle." or lack or limitation, and this is not a bad thing. I'm not pointing a finger at you. I'm having a conversation with you because I know what that's about. When we, when we attend to what is loving and beautiful, we are brought forward into our most exquisite manifestation. What love will do is propel us into our most exquisite manifestation. See, that, that idea for me, I just get I, get... I get God bumps with that idea. Anybody else interested in that or is this just me? There's five people over here and three over here. Good, fantastic. Well, I'll talk to you guys then. So, what he continues. I love this question. This is the difference between a life repaired. This is the difference between a life prepared. So, I'm, pre- I'm repairing my life. Came in, I'm broken. Help me, help me. God, please help me. And so, worked with practitioners. Took classes. Did my spiritual practice. Found a meditation practice. continued, And that continues to morph and, and, and change as I go along. Because I'm drawn to different different ideas and different uh, awarenesses. So it's always shifting and changing, but what I know is that when I do my, when I sit down on my meditation in my prayer chair, I know what I'm called to. And then there's a clarity about what I follow, and what I'm in service to. But I had to repair my life, I had to take, I had to take some of those, those error beliefs and I had to dismantle them. And then I created a life that is well lived. So it's the difference between a life repaired and a life well lived. And it's not either or, it's both and. And as I move along and I realize, wow, this is possible, here's a possibility. And then I realize, well, I've got a limitation around that. And it's not about me convincing anybody else, it's about me healing my own limitation about that. Because if I can't heal that, then I'm not speaking from a, uh, from a, a place of authenticity, I'm speaking, I'm announcing. And Holmes co- talks about that frequently in our, in our textbook I got an email this week, I haven't answered it yet, but someone asked me, I forgot all about it, but years ago, I was was on the um, Religious Science International Leadership Council, and uh, that was before we integrated with the Centers for Spiritual Living, created a new organization, and I I was in charge of youth, and I was there one day, I was at youth camp, I went to every youth camp, and it was really great learning for me, because it was not my thing, I mean, I I, I like to sleep at night, and I'd wake up at 3 in the morning, and the kids would be passing snicker bars back and forth with the lights. I'd go, go to sleep, you guys. They're all high on candy and sugar, and I'm, like, Anyway, I'd come home and sleep for two weeks after the camp was over. But while I was there one year, uh, a man came from Malawi, Africa with two of so his stepsons, Walter. And Walter, we were talking about we wanted to help them in Malawi. How do we do this? And so I was at the table. We were having lunch one day, and... And Walter said, well, we really need education in, in Malawi. And um, we said, well, how could we help with that? And he said, well, we could use a school. And so we thought about that and we, we came up with some ideas and, and through the course of that week that we were together, we found out what it would cost to build a school, we found an organization that would help us that did that because we didn't have the, the, the knowledge and the, the background in that, but we found an organization that was a good fit and so here's all these 350, 13, 14, 15, all the way up to 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds, teens, uh, sitting around. And they said, what's it going to cost to build a school in Malawi? And we figured out it was about 15000 at that time. And we said, okay. And so we started passing the, the hat. We had passed the hat like at every session. We said, anybody want to donate? We're going to build a school in Malawi. And by the time we left that week, these 350 t- teens had raised enough money to build the first school in Malawi we now have built 18 schools there as an organization. So I don't know if you know that, there's all kinds of outreach things that we do. And one of the things is because there are a group of people that care about this and they love that. And so the lives that have been influenced and changed by that have been huge. And I'm gonna tell you, the lives that have been influenced and changed by that have not only been the, the children of Malawi, they've been our teens and our youth that have stepped up to do this thing. But I forgot about being in the right place at the right time and being of service to this idea. Because there's so, so many things that go on, and many times it's 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 difficult to look back and remember. Yeah, I remember that. I remember when we br- gave that birth to that. But it was myself and, and Reverend Keith Cox and uh, a couple other people were there. But it was a beautiful it's a beautiful idea about wanting to take uh, what we do and apply it in the world. So not only do we love this idea of being of service and caring for one another, but we wanted to, to give it legs and some activity. And to watch it grow and to see what has happened and, 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 and touched so many lives over the years and continues. The, the teens go back every year and they help build another school. And they raise money throughout the year. I was talking to Moira Fox the other day. And now it's about 25000 to build a school. You know, costs have gone up since 2009. And, uh, and we probably underestimated the fifteen when we first did it. But Keith just told me that Moira Fox came up to him and, um, at a, in Orlando and handed him a check from the Redondo Beach uh, Church to pay for another school. So it's wonderful to know that that there's this impetus to take our movement, which I love, out into the world and impact it in practical ways. The thing that we have to keep in mind that I think is really important and can be a trap with what we love. So I brought along some eggs today, and these are all raw. I'm gonna be tossing these out. (laughs) Wouldn't that be fun? That is an idea. My friend Dale told me earlier today, don't put all your eggs in one basket. I want to thank you, Dale, but they are still in one basket. But let's, let me use this as a metaphor for, for things I love in my life, and I'm not going to identify them, but let's say i got the number one thing that I love in my life right here. And I go, you know what? I, I want, oh, There's something else I really love. So i got two things now I really love. It's fantastic to have great things you love, isn't it not? And then all of a sudden I come up with an idea. and go, oh, third thing. I really love third thing. Oh, and there's something else I really love right there, okay. And then I got something else I really love, and one more. I don't know if I can hold anymore. And I think this is a wonderful metaphor for how we can pick up so many things in our lives. But the God's honest truth is we can only love. None of us can love beyond our capacity to what we can hold in our hearts, and it's not a bad thing. But I think sometimes when we see the trouble that's going on in the world and we see we want to make sure the world gets educated, we want to make sure people have clean water, we want to make sure that, that there's no wars, we want to make sure that those that are disenfranchised, that feel lonely and marginalized, and, and uh, you know, went to a memorial service yesterday for somebody that just life got too painful and checked out early. And it's just, it's sad. And so... I don't want that to be my truth. I don't want that to be my reality. And I want to do something to change it. But the reality is there's only so many people that I can hold in my heart. If I put this, I swear to God, and I don't want to clean an egg up, so I'm not going to set this egg up here. Well, it does hold. Okay, good. But I'm I'm not going to leave it there. It's possible, and I think it's important for us to accept the totality of who we are. That we're not ever going to change and eliminate world hunger. It doesn't mean we don't work in that direction. It doesn't mean that we'll never, uh, that, we, that we'll eliminate war. It seems like there's a war breaking out, a new one every few months. We got a thing going on in the Ukraine right now. I don't want there to be any wars. But how can I help with that? How can I assist that? How can I be part of that discussion? You know, I don't like it when, I don't like people being lonely. I don't like bullying. And that probably because when I was a kid, there was a lot of bullying went on. And I didn't like it. And it was always a fine art because I got real big, real fast physically, and I think it was part of survival. So that it was always a fine art not to become the bully, facing a bully, if you know what I mean. You know, it's one thing to say stop, you're not going to do that, and it's another to say stop, and now I'm going to punch you in the nose because then you become the bully but but the point is is that i don't want to be part of i don't want to be part of that problem but we can only love so many people well in our lives so my relationship with my, my partner laura it's a an, 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 who i adore in so many ways and it, it, you know it's just beyond words at times for me but she allows me to practice loving god as well loving well and my children do they're dear to me dear to me like no one else but I I can't be in that relationship with everyone. I'm not in that relationship with our teens here, although I have great love and affection for them, but it's a different relationship. It's a different form of love. See, See, we think we can carry as many eggs as possible, but we can't, because our heart can only hold so much. So part of the spiritual journey is coming into the clarity about what can I hold, what is mine to do, and what isn't mine to do? Because if we want to be a center that's touching and transforming lives, then what is our focus gonna be? Is it build as many schools as we can in Africa? Is it help bring clean water to the rest of the world? Or is it to teach this teaching so well here that our, our, our lives continue to thrive, that you continue to identify your gifts and you share them and you have an amazing impact in the world? See, I don't think it's either or. But I know that as a community, we can collectively carry more eggs. But I can only carry so many, and I can only do my work that I need to do, my house cleaning, my preparation of the soul, the seeds that I want to plant. Because what I want to do is I want to love well, I want to love kindly, I want to love thoroughly. And I want to hold in my heart what I can hold. But when I take on too much, there's a tendency for me to feel like I'm not doing my part. And then I can beat myself up and I can judge myself and blame myself. So what we can do is we can hold something small really well. And I think sometimes we don't understand how powerful that is. I'm going to put these down because I can't hold them any longer. But these have been blessed by your love today, so I can't imagine what they're going to taste like this week because I'm taking them home. Unless you'd like me to toss one up in the air and see what happens. But, it's, but this tendency in our culture is that more would be better. Better. If I can love this, and I can love that, and I can take that on and take that on. And when I know about that, and talking and watching people's behavior, because I watch you walk in with bags under your eyes and saying, geez, I would have been here, but I was so tired, I couldn't get here, is that we take on more and more and more as if that's gonna be the answer. And so when we really understand what's precious and what we love, it helps helps alleviate some of that. When When you go to plant, if you've ever been to Southern California, they're eucalyptus trees, they're beautiful, they're big, when you plant a eucalyptus seed, it's, uh, it doesn't look like a little eucalyptus tree. It's like, not like a tiny tree that grows up to be 10,000 times its size. It's a little seed. And when you plant that seed, the seed has a memory. The seed knows what it is. It's a eucalyptus tree. And so you put the seed in the ground and you water it and you put it in the right kind of soil in the right conditions and then all of a sudden the memory of the seed rem- remembers what it is. And and the the soil remembers what it does. And then the sunlight remembers what it does, and the rain participates. It's It's a collective, it's a community that helps grow the tree. And I think when we when we realize that our our gifts, our gifts are a given, it's enough. It's enough to say it's in the I am enough in this moment. It's not taking on more and more and more, because then you can't hold it. When I take on too many eggs, I start dropping eggs. I'm, in that, I'm at that point in my life right now. It's probably why I'm talking about it. I've got things going on with the leadership council of the organization. I got the same things going on here. It's intriguing to watch, hmm, over here, same, the same limiting beliefs over here that are over here in my community. And so for me, it's like, wow, I get to do this work at this level and this level. And I know that's right and perfect because what I know is is that there's seeds being planted that I want to help water and nourish and give birth to. But the only way I can do that and the only way you can do that in the newness of your life is to continue to do your own, your own clearing away and planting the seeds, nurturing the seed, planting that seed. And what, we, what you and I plant is so important to know It's enough. It's enough to plant your love, your consciousness, and to plant it cleanly and wonderfully. More is not the answer, but it's so easy. In a, in a, we live in a day and age where people are screaming at us of what we need to be and to understand. Oh, it's this teaching, it's that teaching, it's this, you're on the wrong path, this is the modality. Follow me here, follow me there. It's like, well, I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe what it is is to move into the silence of my own being and to ask those questions and continue to ask those questions: Is what do I really love? What do I truly, truly love? Not what somebody else tells me I should love. What do I truly love? We we each have about a handful of seeds, and I think it's important with spiritual practice to make peace with that. The blessings of sufficiency. Wayne uh, Wayne Muller talks about in uh, New Mexico where he had his ministry for a number of years, and I think he's still there. He talked about that when the AIDS epidemic got really prolific in that environment, there was a tendency with most of the the, the spiritual communities, the churches in the area, to turn away from it. They didn't know how to deal with it. They didn't want to have the conversation. So what he found was because he was open to it and being of service to it, he was inundated doing memorial services. And he said, after a while, it was just, people were dying like three people a week, and he was doing memorial service after memorial service after memorial service. And he said, what's the point? We, go, we get together and we say the same thing every time, and people are just dying left and right. And he said he thought about it and he worked with it because he was frustrated. He said, you know, I wanted to bring everybody back to life, but we weren't going to do that. But he said what happens, and I think it's so important to articulate this, because I want to build as many schools in Malawi as I can, but I don't want to lose sight of this. He said that what we were doing when we came together in those memorial services, we were hugging one another. We were holding one another. We could come together in this, this, this cracked open in this sacred space and hug one another. And he said that was enough. Because he said what happens beneath all our suffering, so when we look at the things that aren't working, beneath that suffering there is a grace that holds each and every one of us up. There is a grace and a beauty. And when I lose my faith, and sometimes I lose my faith in the busyness of life because I'm holding too many eggs, what brings me back is community. It's my connection with you and your prayers so that I can come back to a community that vibrates at a certain frequency and it pulls me back into what I know to be true. That despite the conditions and the errors of our lives, that's not the truth. It may be what I'm feeling in the moment. Faith can dissipate what I've done. My past does not define me, it informs me. And so what I know about that is is that at the end of the day, I can say to myself, you know what, despite all I've done and the errors I've made or where I missed the mark, I'm still loved. I am still loved. Wonderful story in here about two women that came to his workshop and were victims of incest. And they came came to his uh, workshop and they said, we need to talk to you. And he said, well, go ahead and talk. And he said, well, you know, you don't understand what's happened to us. She said, it was Heidi and and Ellen. She said, you don't understand what's happened to us. We're victims of incest. And he said, she said, I feel you don't understand. She said, incest is horrible. And it'll it'll affect me for the rest of my life. It's the most powerful thing that ever happened to me. She said, I go to meetings four times a week. I go to the therapist. I go to workshops. I feel like I have to do this forever. I am an incest survivor. And I will be an incest survivor for my whole life. Why would I ever want to give up calling myself an incest survivor? And she said, come into the workshop, now i found out who I really am. He said, we discussed for a long time how many costs and benefits of taking our spiritual identity to the shape of our wound. You see, it's important to call it what it is and to, 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 to process it, but not make it a, don't, don't get a zip code there or postal code there. She said, for Helen and Heidi, the process of healing from incest has been the most loving, safe, and spiritually powerful experience of their lives. And so, in a way, they have, they have come to love even their own incest. Because all of the energy goes there. But how many of us can do that, have an experience, and all of a sudden, that becomes our identity? That's not the truth of our being. It's not the truth of who we are. I want to I share a, um, a beautiful poem before I do, I just want to share a couple ideas before I conclude. But beneath all of our suffering lies that grace. And, and part of what I think is very tricky for us in metaphysics to do because we're asked to take on responsibility and do our own work. Take, take command of our life, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and, and, and move forward, not identify ourselves with our wounds so much. But it's not as straightforward as that. And sometimes it's easy to forget that we're not in this alone. That there's a loving presence, a power for good available to all of us. And yet, so often we take on our spiritual practices, one more egg that we can't hold when we don't have to. It's about putting things down so we can be more available to what God would like to express through us or spirit wants to express through us. And that's why I'm talking about my own cleaning My own house cleaning so I can get out of the way because what I'm doing, if I stay immersed in poverty, what wants to appear can't show up because there's no room for it. Because I'm in the way. I don't want to be in the way. It's like I gotta I gotta put down my love of poverty. It's scary, man. It's because it's easy for me to say, well, here's something else to be fixed. And then I go fix it, and people come in on Sunday and go, wow, that Reverend Patrick's amazing. Do you know what he did? You know, the whole electrical system went down. He, re- 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 melhor- he rewired the whole place in four hours. <laughs> I mean, really, I, mean, I know it sounds ridiculous, but that's the energy behind it. It's like, I can't do this on my own. It, what's my work to do and what's not my work to do? What is God's work to do in my life? And when we do the house cleaning, then we know, yes, our, we're called. We are called to build schools all over the world. We don't even need to meet on a Sunday anymore. We're just building schools. that's what we're called to do, let's do that. But I won't know if I keep standing in poverty. And I'm not saying that's the direction. But no direction can be made clear. No newness can come in if I'm, I'm, I'm grounded in this and then I become entrenched and fall in love with the idea it's all about schools or it's all about clean water or it's all about world peace. And I love this poem because I think it articulates so beautifully. So I'll leave you with this. This is accepting this from Mark Nepo. He said, yes, it's true, I confess. I have thought great thoughts and I've sung great songs. All of it rehearsal for the majesty of being held. See, we're here to hold one another and to be held. That's what this small group stuff's all about at the end of the day. The dream is awakened when thinking, I love you. The dream is awakened when thinking, I love you, and life begins. When saying, I love you, and joy moves like blood when embracing others with love. My efforts now turn from trying to outrun suffering to accepting love wherever I can find it. Stripped of causes and plans and things to strive for, I have discovered everything I could need or ask for is right here right here in flawed abundance. I love that, in flawed abundance. We cannot eliminate hunger, but we can feed each other. We cannot eliminate loneliness, but we can hold each other. We cannot eliminate pain, but we can live a life of compassion. Ultimately, we are, we are small, living things, awakened in the stream. Not gods who carve out rivers. Like human fish, we are asked to experience meaning in the life that moves through the gill of our heart. There is nothing to do and nowhere to go. Accepting this, we can do everything and go anywhere. And so it is. Blessings. Thank you.